Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna. Welcome to all of the guests and friends. Uh, what I'm going to do today is to try to give you some insights of my life, actually, uh, and how I came to Krishna consciousness. Uh, as you have been told, I was born in Brooklyn, spent most of my life in New York City, um, and was raised in uh, a small community called Bedford-Stuyvesant, uh, which uh, is kind of like a ghetto. A lot of the new arrivals to the U.S., that's where they uh, stayed. And also, I was a new arrival. <laughs> My parents came from uh, the Caribbean, and they... Uh, emigrated to the U.S. at a very early age. They were in their teens when they came. And they were really seeking a better life, trying to find something to, uh, that they could hold on to and move up the ladder, so to speak. Uh, so, Medford-Stuyvesant was, uh, as I said, not a nice place to live. But that's where we lived uh, my early life. Public schools were not very good at this time, particularly in some neighborhoods. Uh, I went to a poor public school. What they did at that time was they, if you showed any interest in uh, classwork and so forth, you moved up very fast. So I skipped a couple of grades and that's, that was the way that they got rid of people who were interested in going to school. So I went from public school to uh, high school. I went to an academic high school. At that time, we had two classes of schools uh, in the intermediate uh, range. One was academic and the other was vocational. And the vocational prepared you to do some manual labor right after you graduated. So you were really ready for a job. Uh, electrician or plumber or carpenter, uh, some technical thing uh, prepared you uh, with vocational high school. Academic high school prepared you for college. You were supposed to be able to go to college following that. So uh, I went to an academic high school and I did very well there. And uh, I was uh, going to uh, City University. I didn't think about going to any private school because finances didn't allow me. So uh, City College was at that time a free university. Uh, as long as you could pass the entrance examination or if you had a very high grade point average at your high school and your high school was highly recommended, uh, you might go directly without taking uh, further examinations. So I went to uh, City College. My first week there, I met a friend of mine, 
and he said, are you interested in work? I said, yes. And he said, well, uh, I think they have a, a, a position that you might want to fill. And so I uh, followed that up, and it turned out that it was a uh, student technician job. And I kept that student technician job for the entire four years that I was at City College, which was uh, at least some source of income. Uh, so one of those obstacles uh, was income, and that's uh, how I got some help. When I was uh, about seven years old, I discussed with my parents what my future life would be. And I told them that I was interested in becoming a doctor. I did have, didn't have any association with any physician. I didn't know anybody that was uh, in that field or an allied field. So it came out of the blue that I chose that, that physician uh, to be a physician. But my parents were very uh, uh, helpful and encouraging. They said, well, you know you have to have good grades to become a doctor. And if you do that, uh, you have a chance. And so my early life uh, in school, in high school and later on in college, uh, that's what I did. I tried to be tops and tried to do uh, excellent work and be a very good student. And so I graduated from high school with a, a very good average, A. And I went to college, and I persevered with the uh, uh, biochemistries, because that was my major, uh, uh, for, med uh, for uh, medical school. So the two obstacles that I had uh, to go to medical school was one, uh, money. Uh, my family was very uh, poor. We were in the poor category. And uh, so that was the first obstacle. And the second obstacle was my color. Uh, at that time in the United States, even in the Eastern United States, states, not the South, Eastern United States, uh, if you were an Afro-American, it was very difficult uh, to get into medical school. Most of the medical schools uh, in the Eastern United States, I'm not talking about the South, but uh, the Eastern United States would not accept an application from an African-American person. So I was told that when I uh, went to college, and I was told that I had to get a recommendation from a committee. Uh, and the committee would give me an idea of which schools uh, I couldn't apply to because they have never uh, accepted an African-American student. And so uh, I had this uh, hurdle to uh, get over. Uh, but it didn't deter me except my... Uh, um, great advisor said to me on one examination, he said, uh, I see that you are inten intending to go to medicine. I said, yes. And he said, well, uh, would you uh, like to have an alternative? I said, why? 
he said, well, it's very difficult to get into a medical school for uh, African-American students. I said, no, uh, I said, I'm determined to uh, go into medicine. I think I, I, I will go into medicine and I'm hopeful. I pray that I will go into uh, medicine. And so I'm really not interested in anything else. Uh, he just, he uh, advised me to take education courses so that when I finished, I would be uh, uh, able to uh, teach uh, and rather than if I didn't make the grade in terms of getting into medicine. I said, no, I, I'm gonna take only pre-medical courses and that's it because I'm going to get into the medical school. So uh, when it came time to apply, I, of course, I uh, went to the committee and gave uh, them uh, all the information and they said, well, your grades are excellent and so forth and uh, you can apply to uh, uh, medical schools, but not this list. And they gave me a list of <laughs> schools that I shouldn't apply to because they would not be able to give me a, a letter of recommendation. So uh, there were two schools that I applied to that were private schools who uh, took only African-Americans. That's Howard University, which I think most of you are familiar with in Washington, D.C. And the other school was Meharry Medical College, which was in the South, in Tennessee. So I said, okay. So I applied to both of those, and I applied to two medical schools in New York State. And I was accepted at Meharry Medical College, and I spent my four years there for my medical degree. Uh, following uh, graduation from uh, medicine, the next step was internship. I came back to New York in Brooklyn uh, to do my internship uh, at a large municipal hospital, Kings County Hospital, which is one of the three largest hospitals in America. And uh, I finished uh, Kings County Hospital, and uh, I received a letter from my draft board saying, uh, I think you are eligible for induction into the service. And then I found out that there was at that time a doctor's draft bill that had passed Congress uh, because there was a need for physicians. So I came under the uh, doctor's draft bill and they said, well, your advantage is that you can choose which service you want to serve in. <clears throat> and I said, okay, I'll I choose the Navy. And the next thing I knew, I was uh, drafted into the service uh, in the Navy. And I served in uh, California at Oceanside Naval Hospital. And I served with the Marine Corps. Uh, for two years, and the Marine Corps, they uh, gave you a training. You had to have training as a physician to be in the Marines. They gave you the same workout that they gave the ordinary Marines until they found out that doctors who were at that time maybe 25, 26 years old 
didn't do well uh, competing with uh, Marines who were uh, 18 or 19 years old. So after they lost a couple of doctors in uh, training, they decided to modify the training uh, for physicians. So I finished uh, two years of uh, Navy training. I was assigned to Marine Corps as a regimental surgeon. And uh, I was happy that at that particular time, there was no active conflict that I would uh, be involved in and so forth. So uh, I finished my two years, decided to go back to uh, uh, New York and uh, I did some training uh, as an intern, where I had done some training as an intern. Uh, they did not allow me to finish, uh, do anything else. So after I finished my uh, training in the service and so forth, finished my tour of duty in the service, I went back for additional training in medicine. I wanted to do internal medicine. So I spent three years in a hospital uh, training uh, and residency program uh, to be qualified as an internist. Uh, finishing that program, uh, I, I was uh, ready to go into uh, practice, uh, but I didn't have any money. So I decided, well, I'll work for two years, a couple of years, and get money and, and see if I'm able to go into private practice. At that time, most doctors went into private practice, is individual uh, practice. It's only later on that group practice became very uh, uh, the thing to do. So I wanted to do an individual practice and so forth. So uh, that's what I did. I said, well, I'll work for a couple of years. So I worked as an emergency room physician. I worked as a, a doctor in a clinic, and I worked as a doctor supervising residents' training in another hospital. So that's three jobs. And with those three jobs, I was able to accumulate enough money uh, so that I would be able to open a practice. And so, I did, that's what I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I built a building actually, and uh, I designed the building and opened a practice on Astoria Boulevard, which is on one of the main streets uh, in Brooklyn. And near, it's near uh, LaGuardia Airport. So I uh, started uh, my practice and uh, uh, after uh, uh, completing the building and so forth, and uh, it, I did very well. I was also active in the community, a lot of the community organizations. I was active in the Boy Scouts and a lot of uh, uh, activity outside of uh, the, the medical practice. So I was uh, really uh, doing very well. So, uh, years went by, and then all of a sudden, 
I found out that I was uh, 65 years of age. And I said, uh-oh, what am I going to do now? A lot of people retire at 65 in the USA. That's sort of like the retirement age. Uh, physicians uh, didn't uh, adhere to this uh, wholly. They, they felt that uh, they should continue. And then I looked around at the physicians that continued and I saw that some of them were needed to be taken care of medically themselves. <laughs> uh, and so I didn't think it was advisable to be a physician for a lifetime. I thought there must be something else in the world that I could become involved in. Although I must say that when I was a physician, I worked very hard. Uh, I usually worked seven days a week. Uh, I enjoyed working. I loved my practice. I loved my patients. And uh, I felt very secure in medicine. But when I had reached the age of 65, I didn't think that I should be doing this forever. Suppose, you know, I hit 90, should I be walking around with a cane and, uh, you know, going to see people, patients, and so on? I didn't think that was a good idea. And I recognized that there was a core of young physicians coming to take my place, so uh, there was really no necessity for me to just continue indefinitely. So I wrote my patients a letter, I wrote my colleagues a letter, and I said, I'm going to retire from the practice of medicine and I'm looking for new horizons. I had absolutely no idea what new horizons uh, <laughs> to look for. That was just a catchphrase, you know, okay, I'm going now, I'm gonna seek new horizons. But I had no idea what new horizons really meant. And so, I retired and I said, my wife and I had both born in New York City, both lived in New York City our entire lives. We need to move out of New York City. And I thought of Maryland and I had been to Maryland uh, for a wedding of one of my colleagues' daughters got married and I came here and spent a day or so uh, in Maryland, I looked around and said, oh, this looks like a nice place to retire to. It looks quiet, it has less traffic than I'm accustomed to in New York, and uh, it is a new lifestyle here. So, uh, we, what we did then is that we came to uh, Maryland for a couple of weekends, and I, to Columbia, Maryland, stayed in the hotel, looked around and so forth, and decided that we were gonna move to Maryland. Uh, we made this decision with knowing that we didn't know a single person in Maryland. We didn't have any friends, we didn't know, any, know anybody, our families were all both in New York and so forth, but we decided we can take the trip to New York, it's not a big deal. So we can do that, but, uh, and we can enjoy Maryland. So we came 
uh, and spent uh, a, a year in an apartment and looked around and bought a house after that and, uh, and get, uh, really met some people and so forth. Uh, but we didn't have a real solid footing in, in Maryland. Now, my wife had been going to the Brooklyn Hare Krishna Temple uh, sometime before we left uh, New York. And she was very attached to the programs that went on there. And some of her family members uh, had joined the Brooklyn Temple and had become Hare Krishnas. And so when we came to Maryland, uh, she felt a void. There was nothing, uh, no attachments to anything. And she felt missing the association and the uh, um, friendship and the programs that were available. And so she then inquired from some of her friends uh, what about Maryland? Is, is, there, is there any uh, programs uh, in Maryland? Is there a temple in Maryland? And they said, yes, there is a temple. Uh, you can go to that, look it up and look up the address and go to that temple. And so uh, that's what we did. And the temple, uh, anybody guess who, which temple it was? <laughs> No. <laughs> no. 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 How many temples do we have in uh, Maryland? Baltimore. <laughs> Baltimore. So we went to the Baltimore temple one day, and uh, my wife enjoyed this tremendously. And she wanted to see the deities, and she rushed right up to the altar to see the deities. And I was way in the back. And she was saying, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> but I had never been in a temple before, and everything was new to me and so forth. And one young lady came, and she said, uh, that was living in the temple there, and she said, you people look like you're new people. Uh, and uh, I think I can offer some help. And so she said, Bhaktisattva um, Swami is a, an African-American, and he has uh, lots of programs going on, and he has an institute, and perhaps he would like to go there. So we said yes, and she gave us the address, and... Uh, uh, one, uh, the next weekend or so, we went to the t uh, that address uh, for the institute. So uh, when we got there, we found out that Brock the Tirta Swami was not there at the time and that he was doing a lot of traveling and so uh, we weren't able to see him. Uh, but his uh, devotee said that he was going to be at a program in Washington, D.C., he was going to be one of the main speakers, and there were going to be about four or five other uh, speakers and so forth if we would like to attend that program. So we said yes, and so uh, 
uh, we did attend the program. And that was really a turning point. Uh, Bhaktatirtha Swami was the last speaker in the program. And when he got finished speaking, I was just stunned myself. And then I spoke to my wife, and she was even more enthusiastic. <laughs> and uh, now that I've become a, a, a Hare Krishna, and I, uh, my focus is uh, book distribution, I meet many people that either have uh, seen their spiritual master, uh, or at one time, or never, uh, who only know Prabhupada by uh, the, his books, and, uh, and a few people who came to Krishna consciousness by seeing Prabhupada on only one occasion. They were the immediately captivated and felt that the program that he was offering was really for everybody. So Bhaktisiddhanta had that sort of uh, uh, program. He, he was a very dynamic speaker. He was a very active in everything. He was active in the community. Uh, all of interfaith programs he attended. And he was a big traveler, just like uh, uh, his guru. He went all over the world, and he made devotees all over the world. Uh, so we didn't see him a great deal, but the attachment was phenomenal. Uh, and also, he was uh, active in everything, interested in everything. And uh, so that he gave programs at the Institute and invited uh, everybody the public, the general public. Now, a lot of his devotees had been uh, made devotees at Howard University. He gave a, a series of talks and so forth and attracted a lot of people, and that was their first introduction to uh, Hare Krishna. You know, so uh, I was very fortunate that since I was retired and so forth, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with the Bhakta Theater. And also, uh, since uh, I was a book distributor, we got to go to uh, book fairs and a lot of uh, uh, distant places. I went to Chicago with him to a book convention and so forth. And uh, I really appreciated the opportunity. Uh, this is how you become attached uh, to people, is the direct uh, uh, involvement, the physical presence of the individual, uh, also by what uh, the individual asks you to do, who becomes your guru. In his particular case, he was not only uh, giving instructions, but he was writing books. So he wrote a total of 19 books, which uh, I became involved in the distribution in any way that I can. And 
even amazingly the distribution up until today uh, is worldwide so that people that have never seen Bhaktivedanta Swami or heard Bhaktivedanta Swami if they have his book uh, they become attached so this is this is my was my introduction to Krishna consciousness was uh, the one time that I personally met uh, Dr. Tirtha Swami and I heard uh, a lecture uh, and that was so captivating that was it. Now, in to be a, uh, a devotee means that you have to develop. Uh, full attachment to the uh, um, all of the uh, attributes of Krishna consciousness. It's not just one thing. You said, "Well, I changed my diet and I'll do this," or "I won't do that," and so forth. No, that's not going to bring you to Krishna consciousness. Uh, what will bring you to Krishna consciousness is surrendering to your uh, spiritual master and when you surrender you're ready to give your life you give your full dedication uh, and uh, cut off your attachment to uh, people that are not uh, in your uh, same category in terms of their uh, uh, ability to follow the rules and regulations uh, this is very important because this will only deter you from movement uh, if you don't have that uh, attachment. Uh, you need to uh, do uh, uh, all of your activities with your, your fellow devotees and you will find that there becomes a, a lifetime attachment. Uh, we have only basically devotee friends uh, and uh, the other people we will try to convert to becoming devotees by giving them information by giving them books by giving them uh, Prabhupada's books and so forth and to help them uh, get over uh, 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 into a Krishna conscious movement so at the age 65, I retired. I did something that I haven't done before. I was not involved in anything else. When I was a youngster, my mom was very interested in uh, Christianity. And so we were, I was raised uh, uh, as a Christian. And uh, I went to a, a church very faithfully because my family demanded it. <laughs> And uh, I spent uh, a lot of time uh, as a Christian going to church. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but now I uh, uh, devote all of my time to Krishna consciousness. It is my goal in life. I have no other goal. I'm not interested in uh, material advancement. Uh, I'm not interested in money, I'm not interested in friends, I'm not interested in doing uh, the, what the average person uh, does. Uh, most of us in this lifetime, we're looking for happiness. And that's our goal. 
We're looking for happiness. That happiness cannot be uh, obtained materially. Uh, if you are looking only for things that will materially help you, you will not uh, be happy. You will sometimes, uh, for a short period of time, uh, if you have money or you have a, a house or you have uh, anything that is uh, in front of you all of the time, that doesn't make you happy, whatever it is. Uh, even your close family uh, can be sometimes destructive for progress in your spirituality. And they can uh, try to uh, hold you back. So anything that holds you back, uh, you have to remove that attachment. Your attachment is to the uh, superior personality of Godhead. Your attachment is to God. Your attachment is to Krishna consciousness. This is what gives you happiness. And how do you know it gives you happiness? You feel it right inside, internally. It, it becomes part of your heart. And uh, it's not difficult. Uh, other material things are only temporarily. You may feel good because you have a nice wife, or you have a nice house, or you, you have a beautiful car, whatever, but that's only a temporary happiness. It's not lasting. Krishna consciousness is, will give you lifetime satisfaction. It will make you happy. Uh, it will make, regardless of what your physical uh, situation is, whether whether you live in a good neighborhood or a bad neighborhood, or you have a lot of money, or you own this or you own that, that will never make you happy. So I found in my experience that the only thing that makes me happy is the knowledge that I didn't neglect the opportunity uh, to retire and that my retirement led me to Krishna consciousness and this is the goal of my life, this is what I follow and this is what makes me happy. This makes me happy. Nothing else makes me happy. I am not attached to anything else. I am attached to Krishna and I feel that this is something that I try to offer people uh, through Dr. Tirta's books, through Srila Prabhupada's books, and so forth. If this is your goal in life to be happy, this is the pathway for you to follow. Thank you very much. So Hare Krishna Prabhu, uh, you Hare. mentioned that uh, you don't care for material advancement or uh, friends or these other things that people generally look for. Uh, and you also came to Krishna consciousness after having a great career contributing to your community and achieving some measure of success or that's traditionally considered. So do you think that you could have had this, this attitude or this attitude would even, even be productive if you were at the beginning of your career or just starting your family? I would advise everyone to start very young. 
I want to see the two-year-olds, the three-year-olds, the five-year-olds become Krishna conscious. <laughs> And they will have a great uh, lifetime. They will have a great lifetime. I, I'm sorry that, you know, it took me so many years, despite the fact that I love medicine, I love my patients, I love the, everything about it. I was lacking Krishna consciousness. And when I got to age 65, the light bulb went off. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> you got to do something else besides medicine. Because before that, it was totally medicine. I used to work uh, every day. Even with my children, I used to take them to the hospitals with me. Because <laughs> I didn't have enough time to devote to them during the week. So I would take them to the hospital and they would sit either in the emergency room or downstairs. <laughs> and I would say, okay, sit here. And I have to go and see a patient and I'll be back. And uh, that's what happened. So I think uh, the only thing I missed out was I didn't join earlier. I wasn't uh, attached to Krishna consciousness. I never saw... Uh, uh, a book. I never saw a book. A devotee never handed me a pamphlet. Uh, even in New York City, which, you know, people are always handing you stuff in New York. But uh, I, it, di it didn't happen. So I, I went up to age 65 before somebody said, have you ever heard of Krishna consciousness? And uh, fortunately, uh, I moved in that direction, and my life has changed because of it. Thank you. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. I just wanted to know what lessons from that uh, talk by Bhaktiti Damaraj uh, attracted you so much, and you know, it was a turning point in your life. So, what attracted you so much? What attracted me so much was his manner of presentation of Krishna consciousness. Uh, he presented it to everybody, all types of people. And he once said, if I have to preach uh, in a bathing suit, that's what I would do. <laughs> uh, he, he was a very a type of person that uh, got along well and uh, spoke to all sorts of people, all sorts of crowds we went to and so forth, different people with different faiths and so forth, he spoke to. And if you read his books and so forth, you'll see that uh, basically uh, the reflections are there of, of the great teachings of uh, uh, Krishna consciousness, but in a way that the average person in the street can understand it and uh, get a lot from it. So uh, he was a type of person that uh, was raised in a ghetto, came up a very difficult life and so forth, uh, was fortunate enough to go to one of the great universities in this country and 
uh, was able to relate to all types of people uh, and bring the message of Krishna consciousness down to the level that the average person could understand. Hare Krishna Prabhu, thank you for a great class. Um, so I was really curious to uh, understand the way you were able to merge two different ideologies. So, um, you know, you mentioned that, you, you know, you came up from uh, um, the medical world, you were taught, you know, Western medicine, and all the ideologies associated with that. And when you think about ISKCON and the views around karma and certain things, how were you able to merge the two, given that they're, they, they sort of have different ideologies and views of the world, you know, one where things are based on karma and other things where this idea of randomness, right, where things just sometimes just happen. How are you able to merge the two beliefs? Well, if you take into consideration the number of physicians uh, worldwide that are involved in ISKCON, that are involved in Krishna consciousness, you will see that there is really no difficulty uh, merging the two. It's not that uh, it's, it's incompatible. Uh, you can be any sort of person uh, in ISKCON and uh, Krishna consciousness. You don't have to be a physician. You can be a scientist. Uh, you can be a porter. You can be a business person. Whatever your um, capabilities and your personality leads you in terms of what you uh, do for a living and so forth, uh, is not incompatible with Krishna consciousness. Uh, and you will find that Krishna's consciousness allows you to be whatever you, uh, your personality and your interests uh, uh, lie. Uh, it doesn't uh, um, prevent you from being anything. So, the, uh, if you remember that uh, Prabhupada took uh, a big interest in uh, philosophy and so forth. He took a big interest in science, and uh, some of his uh, early disciples were uh, scientists and so forth, and they uh, didn't exhibit any incompatibility with the teachings of Krishna consciousness. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Thank you for sharing with us all the experiences and realization you have in this lifetime. And I would like to have you sharing us further about the horizon you have, you had after come to Krishna consciousness, which you mentioned earlier that after your retirement, you are seeking for a new horizon. Thank you. Well, as I said uh, previously, that was a catchphrase. I didn't know what I was seeking. Uh, <laughs> I just knew I shouldn't go on doing the same thing daily, every day, in and out, month, year after year, and so forth, even though I enjoyed it. I looked forward to it and so forth. I thought there must be something else to life uh, besides practicing medicine. Uh, so the horizon that I found was a new way of thinking, a new way of knowing who I am as a personality on earth. 
what, what, what am I doing on earth? What is my ultimate goal? And how can I achieve this ultimate goal? That was my new horizon. I didn't have a, a, a new horizon before I came to Krishna consciousness. I just had a day-by-day -day work uh, habit that uh, I had to uh, go and see patients every day. That was my work habit. But uh, the new horizon turned out to be Krishna consciousness uh, so that I know who I was as a person in the, uh, in the scheme of things and, and what my responsibility was to other people to give them insights into uh, what they uh, could do and what they could be. So uh, Krishna consciousness turned out to be my new horizon. I want to applaud your testimony. It's a real confirmation for me. These are tears of joy. Um, you can guess what age I turned this beginning of this month. <laughs> like I say, your testimony is very com a confirmation to me. Uh, I was wondering if this is another sense gratification I was going through in my lifetime of 65 years. Um, am I on the right track? Am I on the right path? I found a pamphlet when I was living in paradise, so to speak, in Hawaii, and it was a, a perfection of yoga. And when I read that, I'm like, this is everything that Jesus was teaching me through my life and intuition. And uh, I got real excited about that, and I came back here in, in July to take on a, a nursing job down in Stafford, um, still wondering, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? <clears throat> and I'm being pulled so much towards, so to speak, retirement and really beginning my life uh, with Krishna consciousness. Thank you for your testimony. Yeah.